it's a miracle that I am here. It's a miracle that this story is, you know, the story that it is of myself, my family, my business, our family business. But all of the odds were against me and against the company. And here we are. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Anyway, so I don't have the energy this morning to be angry at all the things that are happening or not going right. Um, okay, I can, I can do it for you. I got eight hours of sleep and I am ready with guns blazing. I'm <laughs> mad at the flies. I'm mad at, you? I'm mad at the stink bugs. I'm mad at the flies. I'm mad at the microwave. I'm mad at UPS because they came too early. I mean, the list goes on. Shall I continue? Women. I wish they would just smile more. (laughs) Oh my God. You just gave the perfect segue to what I was going to use as a segue. Oh. I was going to start by saying, sometimes when you have those grumpy days, I was doing this with you earlier, it helps to start with a quote from Hamilton and see where it takes you. And you just did it. I was going to start with immigrants. We get the job done. Because that was the appropriate setup for our guest. That's right. Immigrants, we get the job done. And I'm like, talk less. Smile, Smile more. more. Yes. Oh, so, Hamilton quotes. Door. See, it already helps. It's already helping. On that note, we are talking about Julie Smolianski, who is the CEO and president of Lifeway Foods, which was such a fun conversation. And I mean... Actually, quite unexpectedly fun. I did not know that we would really dig in so many layers beneath kefir and probiotics. <laughs> we dug into that kefir, scooped it right out. Yeah, she's cool. She's got a good story. She's, you know, she's like all immigrants, we have these just incredible stories, uh, usually. I was going to say, she's first generation American. Very cool story about her parents. She was born in Russia and uh, they moved to Chicago and kind of set up shop and created something that has been used in other, you know, in their, in the homeland for generations for, you know, health from the inside out. And she kind of really took the reins from her dad and turned it into a business that's completely crushing it. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. It's one of those brands. It's like one of these sneaky, uh, you know, like hundred million dollar brands. Like right. I, it's once you see it, you see it everywhere. Like, Oh, I've never okay, Lifeway. There it is again. You know, she's young. She took this company over very young. She's female from an immigrant background, which we talked about a little bit can be kind of weird when you're growing up with like, I grew up from, you know, my dad's off the boat. (laughs) Weird things happen culturally that can be a little bit uh, startling. Um, But, uh, you know, it's, it's, she really overcame a lot and she was working against many odds. And it's funny. So on that note, I just got attacked. Uh, text from my friend, speaking of female founders who are crushing it, eh, less good news. <laughs> Tech Crunch just uh, put out an article today, October 9th. And the title is, 
funding for female founders falls to 2017 levels as pandemic shakes up the VC market. Which awesome. means, ladies, if you didn't think it was hard enough already <laughs> to get people to invest in you, hold on to your fucking hat. That's some good news to start off the weekend. All right. Well, good news for Julie. She doesn't really, that doesn't affect her right now because her she's kicking some ass and taking names. So yes, you stay put. You stay right where you are, you lady. Stay where you are, Julie. Do not hand over those reins. Come to New York and drink vodka and eat caviar with us. Okay. Have a listen. Enjoy. Thanks. We love giving you ad-free episodes, but you're going to have to listen to this one real quick. Because this episode is brought to you by us. Yes, our brand new brand, Earth and Star, is taking your daily habits like cold brew and matcha and elevating them with adaptogens to give you some ridiculously healthy benefits. Benefits such as cognitive function, calm, stamina, and a huge boost to your immune system, which I think we can agree we all need right now. Our super convenient, ready-to-drink lattes are 100% certified organic, plant-based, made with, what else? Rothy oat milk. Is there any other kind of oat milk today? I don't think so. No packets or tubs or clumpy, weird powder that no matter how much you try to mix it, it never seems to dissolve. Just a delicious little can of magic. We've got all the flavors. We've got cold brew coffee, matcha, turmeric, cacao, which is basically adult chocolate milk. And we are adding 2000 milligrams, that is no small dose, of functional mushroom extracts like lion's mane and chaga to basically upgrade your everyday habit into a kick-ass functional latte. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. Available at earthandstar.com. Take 15% off with the code HTW at checkout. Earth and Star Mushroom Lattes. Amazing taste. Healthy as sh. Officially welcome, Julie Smolianski. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Okay. Of Lifeway Foods. Guess what I'm not going to pronounce correctly? Is Kiefer. Kiefer? Yeah. Kiefer? Yeah, uh, both are correct and both are used. And it is like the number one most asked question. <laughs> what do you say? I say kefir. In Russian, it's kefir. Mm-hmm. So like rolling the R. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit of an awkward word. And that's one of the challenges. But as long as it's life way, you're good. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Welcome. We are very excited to talk about this, uh, well, your journey, and which is, you know, quite the story. And this amazing, ancient superfood. I mean, really, we're going back. Yeah, we're going back far into ancient time, 2,000 years far back. <laughs> Wait, how many thousand? 2,000 years. Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. Um, my ancestors discovered um, kefir 2,000 years ago. Uh, and actually, there were even archaeologists that found some evidence of the use of kefir even 4,000 years back that the mummies would um, bury 
when they, when they went through the mummification process, they would bury their dead with remnants of like fermented milk to um, inspire the afterlife uh, because it was like a living culture. Wow. So it's very fascinating because there's these like ancient stories associated with it. Like Cleopatra bathed in it for her skin. Marco Polo used it during his travels and wrote about it. Uh, so there's, there's some really fascinating long stories and it survived through storytelling, which is what we're doing today on a different like level on a different scale. But it really survived because people felt better when they consumed it. They intuitively felt uh, a sense of well-being when they consumed it. My ancestors believed that they it contributed to their longevity. They lived past 100 years of age in these regions, Caucasus Mountains, which is around uh, like Russia and Ukraine, which I am first generation. I was born in Kiev uh, when it was the Soviet Union, which is now Ukraine. But, you know, and, and we were immigrants and refugees. And uh, with our immigration, with the move across the ocean, my parents brought with them this ancient healing beverage, like you said, a superfood. And it was unheard of in the United States and it, it, it survived this, you know, took, stood the, the test of time because of, of these stories and the contribution that it has to our health and what my ancestors intuitively knew has now started to be backed up and validated by science, by modern research and science. A uh, hundred years ago, Eli Meshnikov, who's considered the grandfather of immunity, he did the first studies around kefir and fermented dairy and the impact on health. And for these last 100 years, that research has just been built upon. And, and it's just fascinating because not only are we building the immune system through gut health and, and kefir and, and contributing to that, but now we know that we can manipulate our mental health too, our mood, and that the gut really is the, 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 the whole center of all of our health. And Hippocrates actually said that all health begins in the gut. So we're just learning about it now. I think it's like really new, even though it's old, um, we're really just now starting to learn the impact of bacteria and gut health and microbiome. So it's fascinating. It's super fascinating. We're total just gut health nerds over here. We've had a few conversations with, you know, different types of products and as well, we're kind of, you know, dabbling in that space and certainly in the immunity space ourselves with our, we have a mushroom brand that we're getting off the ground. And uh, yeah, we'd love to talk mushrooms with you. Um, uh, that's cool. But um, so, I, and I think somebody had shared with us once and it was such a powerful visual, the idea that at one point, you know, when we were initially like one, I guess it's in the, in the embryo before it's like kind of separates and splits like the mind, you know, the, the brain and the body and the gut are actually all interconnected before it kind of elongates into what we it's know like as the membrane, same piece right? of tissue that ultimately yeah. makes up. Yeah. It breaks apart. Right. It's really fascinating. And, and like our DNA cells just regenerate and come back over and over and over again. And to me, that's just so powerful. If you've ever taken the 23andMe test or one of those ancestry tests and sort of like follow your DNA, it's just so remarkable because I do really feel like part of our legacy is to carry this culture forward from one generation to the other. And I sort of feel like a maternal sense of, of uh, mothering this culture and bringing it you know, forward uh, to the next generation. No pun. 
<laughs> yeah, no pun. The mother culture, that is right. <laughs> so you're speaking about your ancestors. Did you arrive at, I mean, are you, is this your mission and is this what you're involved with kind of because you feel like you've inherited it or was this sort of a happy discovery after you became interested in this area? Like what, and, and to then kind of dovetail into what is your story and, and how did you kind of land here? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, my, my father was an engineer. My mother was a bookkeeper, um, but she went in Russia in, in the Soviet Union. But then, then uh, they, you know, when, when my father came here, when my parents came here, I was one when we settled in Chicago. We, were, we, we came with $116 and uh, my mother learned English watching General Hospital and she ended up opening the first Russian deli in Chicago. And uh, it sort of launched our entry into the food business. And um, I think that kind of was an intuitive sense that she felt to mother us and, and her community and feed her community. And, um, you know, the food was different. Slavic food is different than American food. And while there was so much of it, she noticed this like difference in, in food. And that's what led her to start the business. And, you know, then my father just, they, they, it was sort of serendipitous, but it's sort of that idea of like following your gut and listening to those signs. And when they were in Germany buying, uh, they were in Germany 10 years after she started the business or 10 years after we settled and they were on a, a food buying show at a convention and my father bought three bottles of kefir and he said, God, you know, I miss kefir. You know, in Russia, it was a staple. Everyone drank it. It was like from the time you're born until you die, you're using it almost medicinally because of all these associated health benefits. And she just said, well, you're an engineer. Why don't you start making it, you know, make a plant, build a food plant make the product and I'll sell it in my distribution system. And six months later, they launched the company with, you know, without a business plan, with no fancy logos, no capital. It was just total bootstrapped out of the basement. And it, and it worked because the Russians that started to immigrate here, it was like the beginning of a market. They, they knew what the product was. They didn't have to be educated. And that gave it a baseline. And then at the same time, the natural food industry was kicking off. Whole Foods started opening up and co-ops were going. What year? So you moved. This so was, you- yeah, we we settled in seventy six. I was one. I was born in seventy five. Um, in eighty two years later, she opened the deli in like seventy nine. In eighty five, they were in Germany, and in eighty six, Lifeway was launched, and I was eleven years old. So I grew up in the business. Like I was a kid in, um, you know, when I was four, I was already putting price tags on food products and unpacking boxes and like learning grocery, like whatever, helping my parents. So it, that was intuitive, but. I had no interest in doing business. I wanted to be a psychologist. And I really had the purpose of like reducing suffering, I think, at the end of the day. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to make the world a better place. And I started you know, my, my career in crisis work. I was a, uh, like a trauma counselor. I was an in-home family counselor here in Chicago. I was involved in some really rough, heavy, challenging cases. And that was really daunting on me. It was really hard to do that. And I just found myself a little bit unhappy. I was already in grad school for psych. And you know, I, I had this really hard situation in the field in psychology. And I 
just needed some time to figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to like move the next steps. And I was in my father's office working part-time. I just asked for some part-time hours and I fell in love with what he was doing. I, I just suddenly, you know, after so many years of like listening to him build the business and talk about Ali Metchnikoff and talk about the miracle of Kiefer and everything. And I would just roll my eyes and I thought it was like this Russian food that my grandma's drank. And one day it just clicked. And it was, um, I, I was 22 and I decided not to come back to grad school after my next, the second year. And, uh, Thank God, because I was able to like learn for about five years with my dad, um, like everything about the business, and he really empowered me in those five years. I was, you know, really side by side with him, involved in some of the most sensitive topics, the most, you know, top level, high level executive decisions. Um, and he really taught me everything. And um, when he passed away, when I was twenty seven. In 2002, I was empowered to take over, I would say. Um, even though I was like really inexperienced, obviously, and, and I was thrown into it, I, I was really empowered to take it on. And I guess my original mission of wanting to reduce suffering was able to be realized through Lifeway, through um, the work that we do that I really started to understand better as I got older. And interestingly enough, you know, mental health was not part of this conversation in the 80s and in the 90s. Oh, it was um, the opposite conversation, right? It wasn't part of any conversation, you know? No conversation was like, let's go to McDonald's. Right. We didn't talk about mental health. But if we did, it was siloed within mental health. It wasn't as part of our whole community. Um, as part of a conversation around food. And I mean, I even remember coming to my dad in an, my own personal crisis in a moment of, of real um, uncertainty and instability and challenge in my own life. And my dad just said, you know, he looked at me and he said, drink kefir. And I thought he was crazy. I'm like, I need a therapist. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, and I did, but I also do understand the benefit now of, and we're learning and science is backing up, like what he knew, what my ancestors knew, um, that there is a sense of well-being uh, through Kiefer and, and making just positive food choices, self-care. You know, when you're actively participating in acts of self-care, we know that we experience a sense of well-being. Research shows that you feel more in control, that you feel a sense of well-being and and you know, science now shows that you can manipulate your mental health too and reduce stress, depression, and anxiety through using kefir and also good positive lifestyle choices, you know, walking outside, being in nature, moving your body, resting your body, speaking positively to yourself, all those things. But it all kind of contributes to one big thing, one big, let's say, top level idea that you know, we, we can improve our lives through, through lifestyle. And so that's how I kind of found myself here, back to what I originally wanted to do, um, which was back to, you know, mental health and reducing suffering. Was your mom, so your dad was obviously grooming you for some time, whether, you know, whether you realized it or not. Yes. Um, it sounds like he was, you know, had full confidence in your ability to take over and pass the torch. Was your mom involved in the business or was she, was she ever involved in the business and was she involved when he passed away? 
Uh, she was involved in the food business. So she ended up uh, with five delis and an importing and distributing company. So she was involved in distributing the product. Um, not so much inside of the business, but from a high level kind of ethnic consulting, you know, storytelling place, not so much in like the management or the day to day. Yeah. My dad uh, really saw something in me that I never even saw. And he was um, super positive about me. I mean, I remember he used to say, I'm going to turn you into a senator. And I was like, I don't know anything about politics. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, trust me, I see what you don't even see in yourself. And he was right. I mean, he was really right. He really did see me. He saw like what my fight for justice, because it was a complicated relationship too. I mean, it wasn't perfect as you know, no relationship is. And there was just, there was, it's not easy to, be an immigrant or a daughter of an immigrant. And it's not easy to be first generation. And there's a lot of hypocrisy to some extent. But at the same time, you know, he, he was trying to be, you know, to come forward into a new way of, of dealing with a female child and a male child. And I mean, he really did empower me. And he was a feminist at the same time that I saw a lot of patriarchy too. Yeah, that's a big leap for him. I mean, just the way you described it, like a, a, a man from what is kind of typically considered, I think, a very male-dominant culture with, you know, his daughter. And are you, are you an only child? Do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. Yeah, he was uh, like almost four years younger. Okay. Is he involved in the business at all? He is. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. But, you know, I, I do really feel like it was my dad that empowered me like and pushed me and maybe pushed me forward maybe in a way that he didn't like with my brother. Um, I don't know if he, my father just knew that I would have more difficulty or challenges or, you know, feel need that little encouragement and being told and, and shown like he always put female role models and trailblazers in front of me, you know, politicians that were female, female business leaders. There weren't that many. He would always show like, find them and show me examples of them. And that really was helpful for me. He sounds like such an incredible guy. He was a really interesting man. You know, I, w- I really do wish that he was around right now. Too. Well, I was going to say, what, what do you think he would, because, you know, 2002 is when he passed, is that right? And I think, I mean, just speaking from our own experience, you know, this, oops, this entire landscape of both, you know, just consumer food and beverage, but also more specifically health oriented has just so exploded in the last 10 to 15 years. Like what, what do you think he would say now if he could see sort of where the business is and how relevant it is to the conversation of the time? I mean, I feel like would his mind just be blown or would he think that this was like, oh yeah, I saw this coming. He did. I mean, he, he talked about this. He was such an early trailblazer in it. I, unfortunately, like I think where the disconnect was that he didn't practice it for himself. He didn't practice healthy lifestyle. He, and that's one of the challenges of being an immigrant is like he only saw that his job was to work, work, work. And then, and then it, when he was partying, you know, he was really going hard, like Russian style vodka on the tables, like, you know, not healthy food. And so anyways, that was the, the disconnect for him. But yeah, he was really ahead of his time because these are the things he was talking about. So he was kind of like, uh, do as I say, not as I do, you know, that, that idea. But he, he really was ahead. I think he'd be fascinated. It is really what he, 
was was talking about and and especially with gut health and i think he'd be blown away i don't i don't think he would even ever believe that lifeway has achieved the level of success it has and the level where i still think that it can go and i i really feel like we're in like chapter two, you know, of the story. And so there's, it's very, very interesting to see where it's going to go. And I couldn't be more proud of like the, the conversation that we have been leading around. I mean, we were the first company to say probiotic on our packaging. No one knew what probiotic was when, when we started writing that. We were, we launched these you know, pouches for kids. Uh, they just won a good housekeeping. Uh, Wait, you have kids? Yeah, for the kids. So for the, our ProBugs pouch, which we launched in 2007, I started to develop it in 2002, actually in April, before he passed away. And that became 25% of all baby food consumption in pouches. So, you know, we disrupted the baby food space. So like, there's so many interesting things that we've been able to do and lead on. And I think in part, it was, you know, naivety is bliss. And when you're naive, a little bit like I was mixed in with a little bit of ancient wisdom and being guided by my ancestors and listening to my God yeah, where we ended up. It's a great, uh, it's a great com- like winning combination. It's like immigrant mentality, uh, great timing on the health front. Um, I mean, what? so this is, you just reminded me of like the whole Activia moment. Mm-hmm. Like what, do you have any strong feelings about those commercials? Because I do. And I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but like, come on, guys. Totally manufactured, made up word about what was the word that they came up with? Infidus regularis. Infidus regularis, which is not a scientific word. It is totally 100% marketing and it worked. And I, I'm sure made what you're doing much more difficult to kind of separate the two, you know, educate around, you know, what is uh, active, like, cultures, probiotics, what does it mean? What's drinkable yogurt and what is actually kefir? Um, Yeah, Yeah, you have to educate the market. Like every time, you know, Activia runs a commercial, people start researching and then eventually they research and end up at Lifeway when they want to find sort of the ancient, real gold standard product with legacy. And, you know, honestly, there is no better probiotic or way to get probiotic than through the consumption of kefir. And, you know, you know, even research shows that it works when it's in a dairy source, you know, fermented dairy versus in a pill. So I mean, there's still a lot of education that needs to be done. And I feel like that's one of the challenges, is, you know, for us is to, to continue to educate the marketplace, to continue to bring in new consumers into the space. But I will say that like through COVID, there's been no better time or, uh, you know, conversation that we're having. I feel like it's a portal right now. Like people want this information. They're eager to learn about, you know, being empowered with their immunity and their wellness and their health. And that like, you know, our wellness is like linked and tied to each other. And this is the time that we're all like learning about it and, that we are also seeing that, you know, racism is like a public health crisis. And, you know, it's the disparity in who is passing away from the disease, who's being impacted. You know, these are all conversations that we're leading. And so that, that is like another level for Lifeway that uh, is really interesting and fascinating to me. And, um, 
you know, I, I feel like really proud that we can bring some sort of wellness to our community and um, families now more than ever. Yeah, there's a big conversation to be had, you know, around obviously privilege and nutrition and the consequences of, of the disconnect there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fascinating. You know, and and trying to like create as much access to it and um, you know democratize it basically and just create more distribution points and and access to for people to to use it. You know, now that like we know, I feel like it's our obligation to help expand that market and bring it to as many people as possible. So it's a lot of work, but it's like so fascinating. And, you know, it helps me feel like I'm in my purpose and uh, there's nothing better than that. It's the greatest motivation for both myself and our team um, and our, you know, fans and supporters. So it's great, great way to spend, spend your life. So I have a quick question. It's so interesting to me now that we're having this crisis, health crisis, obviously with COVID. And a product like Kefir is, you know, like you said, been around forever. There's a ton of science behind it, right? It's proven. It's something that you should be consuming every day, really. I mean, it's just like a preventative, easy thing to do to incorporate it into your daily routine. It's like, it's delicious. It's easy, right? You drink it. You're not going to be like, I suddenly feel superhuman. Like, that's not the idea. It's not a magic bullet. You don't kind of like take it after the fact, although you can, obviously. but but the idea is more about prevention. Do you find, well, A, how do you have that conversation with consumers? Like, how do you communicate that, like, this is a product that can support your health and we need to be thinking preventatively now more than ever. Um, and this is how you can safeguard against whatever is coming at you, whether it's just stress or, you know, whatever the antibiotics that we're taking, like everything that's damaging our microbiome and our immune system, this is how you could support it. Sort of like the best offense is a good defense kind of strategy. And I ask because we have a similar conversation around functional mushrooms and it's, it is, we're just in such an age where we're all looking to something, uh, reactively, right? Like we don't want to do anything preventatively. We want to sort of like play hard and then worry about the consequences when they come. And if that consequence is X, Y, or Z, well, there's a pill for that or there's whatever for that. But we, I find that there's like this slow, thank God, like slow shift that's happening in our culture where we're being forced to think about health in a different way. And it's very much in a preventative way. So how, how are you educating or how are you getting that message across? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think that I even take it deeper uh, in in terms of how we're doing it. To me, it's become a question of boundaries and saying self-care. And like my self-care is non-negotiable. To me, making these kinds of lifestyle choices are investments that you make every day, throughout the day, multiple times a day. These are deposits that you're making into your future lifestyle, into your wellness overall. Because, you know, even if you can live long, you might not be living a great quality of life. When you look to what brings you joy, for me, that's getting outside, going on a bike ride, like what I've discovered through COVID. And what I already knew was like, what brings me joy is the simple things, being outside, being able to use my body, feeling the blood go through my you know, body. And if, 
if I'm unwell, if I am morbidly obese, if I'm diabetic, these are risks that are lifestyle choices and risks that are unnecessary and are preventative. And, and again, it goes back to self-care. It's saying, I matter. I love myself. I choose myself first before I choose anybody else. I love myself. I am worthy and I am enough to live the most beautiful, healthy, active, long life. And when you back into that, then everything else is like easy, right? It's like really easy decisions and choices. And we do that actively like on our Instagram page, for example, or other platforms, Facebook, whatever. We bring in best of class mental health experts and offer mental health chats because I think that's a big part of it is just even the conversations that you're saying and and having with yourself. But it's mental health chats. It's yoga instructors. It's meditation experts. It's sound bath experts. It's, you know, nutritionists, cooking experts, um, folks that can help us like learn how to use Keeper in our life, you know, in other ways, you know, and I... And I mentioned some of those other modalities, sound bath, some of these other things we want to demystify and democratize these um, ancient self-care practices. These are things that our great-grandmothers participated in. And we're now calling upon our great-grandmothers to give us... Great-great-great-grandmothers. Great-great-great-great-grandmothers. Right. Like how much garlic have you been eating during you know, COVID? Like I've been eating more than ever. You know, it, it's like small little things. and the very practice of the ritual of taking part in these self-care practices, that also, you know, helps us feel better. And honestly, it just creates this like masterpiece of a life. And it's fun. It's like people say it's fun to to do these things and learn about it. Incorporate, uh, you know, modalities from all different cultures and and traditions and, and times really. So it's, you know, it's it's a fascinating conversation because it does really go back to boundaries and self-care, I think. Yeah. We know that when you're doing really good things in one area that it tends to, you know, be in other areas. If you are, you know, athletic and it, I mean, we're all athletes. If you partake in, uh, you know, moving your body, then you're more likely to also partake in, you know, healthy food choices. Yeah. yeah sometimes I'll just dress up in yoga clothes. Because um, just run around in yoga clothes. Like, I feel like if I dress the part, maybe exactly like dress for the athlete, dress for the game you want to play. That's the movement you want to have. Yeah. No, but I think it's interesting that you that you use the word democratize because we use that word a lot. You know, in kind of in everything that we're doing. You know, we did it with our juice company, and you know that's that's a slightly different kind of area because yes, we did create a bottle of juice that cost ten dollars, but we were trying to make the information about it more accessible and feel more democratic. And we're certainly trying to do that with this podcast and try to say like, you know, all this information, these experts, this research is available to you if you choose to use it. We're doing it with, you know, we're trying to do it with with mushrooms in the sense that Zoe was describing before. And it seems like a very similar approach that you're having where we have this concept that is centuries old right? There's so much science behind it. It's not that sexy, but it's super effective. And, and I don't mean to knock Kiefer, but it's not that sexy. I mean, people... I, don't know. I love the way that you described, uh, I, I don't know where I heard it or read it, but you know, the champagne of dairy. <laughs> you try to make it sexy. <laughs> that's not super yeah. sexy. 
sexy to me. I mean, it's better that than sounds sexy. Better than like liquid yogurt, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea is like to consistently be relevant in today's conversation, yes. and, like modernizing it, and like you know, connecting it to yoga or connecting it to a particular lifestyle. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to like making the investments into your health. So you can either you know pay for it on the front end, or you can pay for it, you know, in 20 years on a different way. Right. <laughs> well, it kind of creates for it one way or another. Yeah. It creates a revolving door, which is what you were touching on earlier, where you don't, you can either do it for mental health, or you can be in a mindset where you just feel encouraged and empowered to keep doing good things for yourself because of that kind of cycle of continuing to feel good. And to that point about you know democratizing it, these are small changes. These don't have to be things that cost you a lot of money. Uh, sometimes they cost no money. Sometimes really just to your point, like sitting still for five minutes and taking some deep breaths, you don't even have to call it meditation. You just have to call it kind of checking in with yourself. These are all these things that in many ways are, you know, <laughs> they're not widely adopted because there's sometimes no money to be made off of them. And the reality is these are the changes and the practices that we can adopt that can have the most impact um, on, our, on our well-being for the long term, even if you know, we're not actually also like, you know, buying into somebody's product just because they tell us that it's going to do all of these magic things. We, we always want that sort of quick fix and the magic bullet and something that's like, you can feel the effects immediately because that's what we're programmed to you know, seek out as a consumer culture. Um, but, you know, these, these types of practices and these types of, of nutritional protocols that we're talking about here, you know, it's just, it feels so important to kind of underscore that these are not dramatic changes and these are not things that really have to change your entire lifestyle so much as just be, you know, kind of these small incremental like micro improvements that ultimately benefit you more in the long run. 100%. Can you talk just a little bit more about what, uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of fascinated by this, the like, because, you know, my dad's also an immigrant. I'm just, I'm so curious about like the other like immigrant mentality, especially like in the, you know, my dad had his, he's from Greece and like this whole, he came here as a teenager. Well, he was a little bit older, but he didn't have children yet. So I was born here, but you know, they kind of like all pulled their money and, uh, Unfortunately, that money went to like opening a donut hole in like Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, like, a little less sexy, not as healthy. I don't think I ever knew that about you, Zoe. You didn't? No. So, for a long time, I thought it was my mom would tell me, tell me the story because she was you know, like in northeastern Pennsylvania and my mom was like 17 years old and sort of applied for the, the counter girl at what I thought was, I just, I think I just assumed it was like Dunkin' Donuts and it was actually the donut hole. <laughs> Pennsylvania. Who doesn't love a donut? And about balance, frankly, that's the whole thing. Hey, listen, Erica and I, by the way, love to go to the Russian vodka room in Midtown. Okay, we're just saying. (laughs) All about living your best life. Have some Bellinis and oh, it's genius. But anyway, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, You know, my dad was like, they pulled their money. He was like with his cousins and his friends. And and he was like, the stories of him like sleeping on the flower bags in the back and like getting up in the morning, working, whatever. So they had like no money. They didn't know what the heck they were doing. But there was that sense of community and there was that sense of like pulling together and really pulling your resources because, you know, not just financially, but like navigating your way through 
American culture is very complicated. Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, to the extent that like, I, I'm always surprised by how insular these communities are and how strong they like, they're so supportive and strong in some ways, but they can be very, they can kind of hold you back in others, which is probably a great thing to tell you. But like my, when I was younger, my cousins lived in New Jersey and I lived in Pennsylvania. And like, I would always spend my summers with like my Greeks. And like, there was one summer where I was like, come on, like, come to my house. <laughs> and my aunt was like, no, Vespina, you cannot, it's two hours away. She's like, there are mountains. <laughs> Uh, she's like the money is different like they thought the currency okay this is how they've been living here for decades this is how insular that community was they thought there was a different money between on the other side of the delaware water gap literally like (laughs) like it's crazy Um, (laughs) crazy but you know in that it's very interesting because on you know in that family there is a lot of there are a lot of entrepreneurs. Everyone has their own business. Like literally my uncle has his own like contracting business and like painting business. My cousins opened up their own Montessori school. Like they all work with each other and kind of like prop each other up and no one's really going to work for like, you know, government. I don't know. It's like a big, big company. Yeah. 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 It's true. But, but I can imagine that that really propelled you in your sort of entrepreneurial spirit, as you were saying earlier. What I will say is this, that yes, there was a double standard for sure. And there are positives and negatives to both of the issues. And like, of course, I learned so much about growing up as an immigrant daughter, as an immigrant. I mean, I was born in the Soviet Union. Um, You know, learning to navigate one foot in Russian culture and one foot in American culture and be having to vacillate from that from breakfast to lunch and even at breakfast, you know, talking to my family and or my mom because my dad wasn't even there and then going to school and like talking to school and like the teachers would say, okay, this is what's happening. And then my family would be like, girls don't do that or whatever, like basic things, sleepovers. Wasn't allowed to go to sleepovers. Girls, why, you have a bed. Why do you need to go to a sleepover? But everyone else is doing it. And I don't care what everyone else is doing it. You're our daughter and we don't believe in sleepovers. Never heard such a thing. Like you have a bed, sleep in your own bed. The concept of a sleepover was not a thing for my family. And I, it just, I mean, traumatizing. I mean, honestly, it was traumatizing. And, you know, the other issue is like, you don't leave your home unless home is not a safe place. and my family had to leave because it wasn't safe. And like, we've had generations of trauma from World War II, being in the gulags, like all of that is like my family, my father was arrested consistently by the KGB. And like, he probably would have been arrested or died like permanently in the Soviet Union. Um, He was super outspoken about politics and other things. And um you know, and it wasn't a safe place for women. I mean, if we think that it's not safe to be in America uh, for women, it's 10 times more unsafe in a lot of other countries. And so you don't leave unless there's a reason to leave. And that trauma is carried with. And, you know, like we talked about, mental health wasn't really a thing back then. And, and it certainly wasn't a thing in the Soviet Union. So all this idea of like boundaries and self-love and balance in your life and work-life balance, like, None of that existed. I remember not seeing my father for three or four months because he was just working 
trying to establish life in a new country. I mean, they were, he was 29 and my mom was 25 when they came to the U.S., no English, she learned English watching General Hospital and no, no roots, no nothing with an infant. I mean, the, the level of trauma, I can't even, you know, really articulate and how much, how hard that was and uh, how hard that was to navigate. I mean, I went to school with black caviar sandwiches for lunch and that was normal. And, you know, my parents did their first business, their first trade in black caviar because that's what Russians ate. And it was dirt cheap then. And we, and my dad would supply all of the, the, there were like five sushi restaurants. It was before sushi got big. There were five sushi restaurants in the city of Chicago. And he would supply all the extra caviar to the sushi restaurants. And so, you know, it was, I learned some things from that. You know, I, I learned a work ethic, but I also lost in some culture things. And, uh, you know, even for college, I wasn't allowed to leave for college because they just didn't believe that I should leave. They wanted me to go to college, but I had to do it within like a 15 mile vicinity of my house. So there were a lot of restrictions and rules that I had that my brother didn't have. So it was hard and I had to fight against them. And... That's also a very, uh, yeah, that's a very Greek culture thing too. Yeah, the women. It's very different for the ladies (laughs) and the guys. So how did that, I mean, just, uh, you know, at 27, you basically took the the reins, right? So obviously you're young, so that's a strike against you. And then you're female, so it's two strikes against you. How did you combat what I'm sure was like a lot of, uh, you know, negative speak? probably not a lot of confidence in your ability to carry it forward. Like, how did you put your blinders on? I mean, I, yeah, I had a lot of haters. Um, I had people like my father's friend literally said on the day that he died, three feet away from me, five feet away from me, there's no way this company is going to survive. That's it. Sell your stock tomorrow morning. It's over. There's no way a 27-year-old girl can run this company. And so, and we were at 12 million at that time and uh, in, in revenue. And, you know, I am, my fight or flight response kicked in, you know, the generations of women who fought in my DNA, they came up, they, they came up to, for me and they helped me. And, you know, I followed my gut every single, at every single step. I trusted it. I intuitively, I like had like signs and messages, I guess, and like a force outside of myself um, telling me what to do step by step, you know, in those hours and days and weeks and months and even today. Um, And I, I really always have gratitude for my haters because that moment when he said that, it angered me and I wanted to prove him wrong. I wanted to prove to myself. I wanted to prove to everyone that I could do it. That became really important to me. And, and again, it was something that my father saw in me early. You know, when he said that I see something in you that you don't even see in yourself, the fight. So I always fought him against all of those things. Like sometimes I think he just put obstacles in my way to make me fight and prove it to myself because he knew it was in me. And he even said, one day you'll understand. You know, he used a lot of this reverse psychology on me. And I think it was because he knew that the world was harder for women and he wanted me to learn how to fight for myself. And that's what happened. You know, it hasn't stopped. I continue to. And I didn't have like a fancy Harvard business degree. I never took a business class in my life. And all I had was like my intuition. And 
the passion for the business and the passion for wanting to help people any way I could. And that's how I survived. And even today, I still have haters and I still say thank you. Like just recently, I ran into an old acquaintance, a Russian person, and they said, (laughs) they asked me like, how's business and everything. And so I gave them like the, you know, high level, like stuff that's out there, you know, in public, like, I said, oh, you know, things are going so great and yada, yada, you know, these people are really tuned into gut health. And he, and he just looked at me and he goes, well, we'll see what happens in two years when things return to normal. Basically like, oh, you know, okay, great. You have some success now, but we'll see what happens later. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, thank you though. Like, thank you. Because yeah, we'll see. I'll show you what'll happen in two years. Like, I know exactly where I'm steering the ship and I'm not going to fail. Like, it's not a thing. So, you know, I have, I think I've learned that like invest in yourself, no one else is going to do it for you and like believe in yourself. And it, it, that's, that's really it. And like, you know, it is that fight or flight response. Mine is super, super strong. I have learned. And for me, it is a matter of survival, but you know, now it's like thriving and uh, we're past survival place. And um, that's, that's, you know, thank you to the haters. Thank you to the naysayers. Totally. I think it's so incredible how on the surface, you wouldn't really know how a drinkable yogurt company could represent so much in terms of just like grit and fight and also actual, you know, well-being that goes centuries back and mental health and fortitude and empowering women. Like I'm just sitting here listening to everything you're saying. And it's just so like, you've done such an incredible thing and you've really taken all of these elements of your life and your history and created the most unlikely result to share with people. And it's fucking awesome. Good for you. I It like brings tears to my eyes. It's so nice to hear. And it really does. I feel so seen. <laughs> you are seen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I told yeah. someone yesterday, I don't feel seen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very important thing. We need to see each other. Um, I feel like you need to come to New York so that we can go to the Russian vodka room. And then we can also go to Brighton Beach, which is where my husband goes and gets his kefir and his caviar because yeah. he's obsessed with like the Russian grocery stores there and really do a whole tour of your, let's show, let us show you your world here in New York. I love it. I would love it. I, I have had some fun nights at, in uh, Brighton Beach. <laughs> yeah, such incredible things. And we're so, I don't know, just it's, it's, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I, mean, I really just hope that, you know, now in this like part of my life, I hope that now I'm a little bit older and have so much more confidence and I want so much for like young women to be propelled further than even I was. And I think like, you know, it's, it's important to leave some sort of example and, and trailblaze and like clear some of the obstacles out for the next generations. And I really feel like a rising tide raises all ships. So, you know, that's really important to me and to like leave behind for my girls, but for just the next world, you know, leave behind easier, an easier path. And like some of the lessons that I've learned along the way that maybe other women won't have to fight as hard as I have and like leave so much resources to just getting to this point and like survival. Cause it, it was very, it was so challenging. I, 
it's a miracle that I am here. It's a miracle that this story is, you know, the story that it is of myself, my family, my business, our family business. But it is, it is really against every obstacle, against every odd. You know, all of the odds were against me and against the company. And here we are. So I guess if there's anyone who's going through really hard, challenging times, I would say, like, look to us, look to me as a, something to hang on to, to, to show that, you know, you could get there even in really challenging, difficult, dark moments and, and rocky waters. You can, you can do it. Amen. Thank you for that. That's yeah. very important to hear. And um, yeah, we agree. We echo all of it. Uh, and congratulations on on building and maintaining such an important and successful business. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I just, I hope I can continue to share the story and like be brave with my story and, you know, continuously just like break down super taboo topics and like again, I feel like it's my obligation. You know, once you get to a certain point, it's it's your obligation to to do these things, even if it's really hard. You know, even if it requires a lot of bravery uh, to have conversations like this or to move forward. It just, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like my own work that I have to even continuously do. You know, we all we all do. We all do. It's all a work in progress. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today and the best of luck and let's stay in touch and uh, we will spread the good word along with you. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.